Welcome to the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. We're a podcast packed with inspiration from entrepreneurs who've been there and done it, and advice from experts on the topics you need to know to start and grow a brilliant business. Head to enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast for more information, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Welcome to the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. My name's Dan Martin, Head of Content at Enterprise Nation. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And I'm delighted to say for this week's episode, I'm joined by Chrissy Smith, co-founder of Bird and Blend Tea. Hello, Chrissy. Hiya. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So Bird and Blend is a brand we followed pretty much from the start. So it's great to see you again and to talk about the journey. So let's, to start with, let's go all the way back to the start. How did it all happen? I started the business with my partner Mike coming out of university we'd worked a million jobs um, and never quite found anywhere that enabled us to sort of be passionate about what we were doing and ask questions and really make a difference so we knew we wanted to start our own business but we didn't know what we tried a few different things that um, didn't go so well right. like what Can oh, you tell we, we tried to set up um, actually this is quite a good idea and it, it, other companies have done this well now but at the time we can but we started like a unique graduate uh, like not recruitment site but basically a space where people could do a different graduate path it's right. basically a bit like Escape the City now. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, you could have been there We first. could have been, but it's fine. It all worked out fine. <laughs> and then we moved out to Canada. We're both ski instructors, so we were bumming around out there for, for a year or so. And um, I worked for a really innovative tea blending company. And um, in the food and drink industry, quite a lot of food trends tend to come across North America and first. I don't know why. Um, so this sort of idea of innovative blending and, and flavoured teas was really kicking off over there. Um, the, the coffee um, trend also did the same thing, came over from America. Um, so I loved it, was good at it, and said to Mike, let's go back to the UK and give it a go and see if our tea-loving nation can be convinced to let us mess around with their with cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we came home and um, obviously didn't have any money or anything, set up in a back bedroom. It is that classic story of literally we did start in in our parents' back bedroom and we went to markets and Bakewell Town Fate and music festivals and wh- wherever would have us selling tea blends. We had 21 tea blends to start with and they all had fantastic names and, and they were really fun and we focused on flavour. So a lot of other tea companies out there were focusing on either health benefits or maybe origin. Whereas we really went straight in with this idea of it being fun and about flavour first. And people loved it. So we had a cracking summer and then we started doing some pop-ups, which is how we met you guys. Did various pop-up events and realised that really we, we wanted to have a retail business, which was a bit of a scary dream at that time. I mean, yeah. it still is now. <laughs> and you've got loads of them now. <laughs> yeah, no, fast forward um, five years. It's only been five years, five and a half years. And um, yeah, we have, uh, we're based in Brighton, um, where our warehouses and fulfillment and offices are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have seven shops across the country. And we also sell internationally online all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that first shop, so you, I mean, you did the pop-up, which we helped you with, but then you decided... You wanted your own shop, so and and how did you, how did you go about doing it? Why why Brighton? Why Brighton? Yeah, well, uh, you could probably tell by my accent that I'm not a Brightonian no, no. <laughs> from the Midlands. Um, yeah, we came very close to opening a, sh- a store in Nottingham, which was my hometown, and 
obviously we would have had family support there. We had quite a few customers there already. Um, so in some ways it, it made a lot of sense, but we put the brakes on it at the last minute and sort of went back to the drawing board because somebody gave us some really good advice about making sure that if you're opening a physical space, just make sure that it is the best location you could possibly afford. You know, being just off the beaten track isn't good enough. Being just in the wrong city isn't okay. And we, you know, didn't have any experience in, in retail, uh, you know, in, at that time. So we asked everyone we had in our contact book to give us help and advice. And we started mapping um, different areas in the UK. So we looked at our demographics of our customers online and then looked at areas that had that. So we were looking for a student population. We were looking for a multicultural population. We were looking for a place somewhere people go to have fun and to travel. Um, and ideally, we wanted somewhere that had cash, so reasonably wealthy, and if possible, um, an environment that supported independent business, small business. And all roads pointed to Brighton, really. So we went and did a couple of big events down there to test it, sold out. They like everything weird and wonderful down in Brighton, do. so yeah, it was perfect. It's a good place for it. They're also a massive. It's a massive foodie town. Mm. It was the first time I've, I'd ever been to Brighton for the for the first event. We went for the for the bank holiday in, in Easter, and uh, it snowed. <laughs> <laughs> snowed. <laughs> it's, wow. Actually, it's the last time it snowed in Brighton. Yeah, and um, but we still sold out of everything. Uh, had a great weekend. Met our landlady, who is now our landlady, mm. and um, she actually was the. It was a very strange story but she was anita roddick who was the body shops um yeah. which is a brighton brand yeah, yeah. um her first manager wow so when we told her what we did she sort of she said you know wow this reminds me of the body shops early days mm. i'll take a punt on you you know and at that time when we had no accounts no backing no nothing we couldn't get a landlord to take us seriously so the mm. fact that she was willing to you know mm. take a punt on us yeah. really made the difference yeah. so yeah, we moved to Brighton within two weeks and opened the shop and we didn't have any money. We took a startup loan, which, as you you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, mm. um, to open that first store, which I, we just paid it off last month. Really? So, yeah. oh, congratulations. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so, and then we've accidentally become a Brighton brand right. because we, we, we just grew and grew and now we're, we're based down there and mm. I'm, you know, I, I consider myself... A surrogate southerner right despite the accent <laughs> you haven't changed <laughs> yeah. yet and actually it's great because the the things that people associate with brighton naturally are run through to our brand as well you know we're very open-minded we're fun we're creative we are eco-friendly mm. you know so it, so when people hear brighton based mm. it kind of works for our brand instant which is what we do whenever we think brighton you know, we instantly think you. Obviously, now you've got seven shops. So at what point did you decide, you know, you're doing great stuff in Brighton. It was time for the second, then the third and the fourth, you know. Um, the plan was always to have multiple stores. That was always the plan. It was never to have a lifestyle store. Although we did work in the store ourselves for the first year. We decided that we wanted to prove you know, that we could, that the model worked mm -hmm. and we were quite cautious about the environment out there. Um, and both Mike and I are quite, well, I'm, I don't want to say control freak because that's, that's a really negative <laughs> thing, but we like to really research and know what we're doing quite well. I, th I feel like you can't ask other people to do things for you unless you fully understand what you're asking of them. Yeah. So we wanted to know the business inside out. We wanted to know the, the good things and the bad things. And mm -hmm. so we worked that shop floor for the first 
year, mm. both of us, all day, every day. And overnight, we'd pack tea up on the online orders in the basement. And that gave us such a solid understanding of our retail business. So then we that was a year later, we decided we needed to test having multiple sites. And people said to us, you know, it's, it's one thing having one shop where you're there every day, but you're never going to be able to have more than one because how are you going to be there? And we thought, right, let's start small. So we did um, Bristol which after Brighton is the is the next yeah. obvious choice, really. Um, London was too expensive at that time. Um, and then we did tum- a small one in Tunbridge Wells, um, which, is, which was like a satellite. Got the managers set up, learnt how to manage managers, mm. which was, was very tough. Yes, <laughs> um, and then that went really well. So another year down the line, we'd proven... We'd proven we had a retail model. We'd proven we had a multi-site model and that we could handle it. And obviously, we had to make sure all of our warehousing and supply chain and logistics could back up having multiple mm-hmm. stores and also cash flow. That was a shock, you know, stocking three stores compared to one, you know, so we adjusted. And then we decided we wanted to really expand, so we crowdfunded. Yeah, I've got that written down. Yes, yeah, so that was the big, the next big step. And that you wanted 160 grand yeah. and you got 364,000. Yeah, we, we were the is... fastest funded. Um, on the site that year it was huge we mm. yeah it was a, a whirlwind mm. uh, it, I mean it was great mm. um, but they rang us up within hours and said you know would you consider releasing more funds because more equity because you know people are, are really want to be involved yeah. um, which is which is great you know we have 300 investors now and the majority of them are customers yeah. that were there in the early days mm. uh, given us 50 quid 100 quid mm. and I love that because we've basically now got 300 brand ambassadors overnight that genuinely do own a part of the, the business and the story mm. what did you, I mean it was so fast I remember it happening um, but I guess you had you probably had a plan for marketing the crowdfunding and yeah. it went so fast that you didn't yeah. need it so. <laughs> yeah I, I had uh, four months uh, solidly I had prepared for that right. and the raises usually you stay live for a month and if you don't raise within a month you don't get you you fail basically so our account manager had said you know because they they really look after you and because they want you to raise the funds course, as well yeah. um because they get commissioned but they'd said you know we really don't be disheartened if it takes a few weeks and you know really make sure you've got your marketing plugged in for 28 days and you know i had i'd done months of work on it months and months and um yeah, um, we did a big hype campaign and we warmed everybody up. And I mean, it means the marketing, hype marketing went well. Yeah, true. But, but then I ended up with a, a blank calendar for <laughs> six weeks. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to, I've got to fill this calendar. But um, how quickly yeah. was it then? How quickly did you get it? It was, yeah, about 18. I think it was about 18 hours. We'd, 18 we'd, hours. Yeah. I wow. think we hit the our target within like like six or seven and then the extra yeah wow that's amazing so do you think that is just because you already had such a loyal customer base yeah that's I think just what, so. and they were ready they, they wanted were we more. told them about what we were doing we always we always keep our customers very much in the in the loop we're very honest sometimes possibly a bit too honest we're very open and i think they appreciate that and one of the key things was that we're a like a real love mark brand that people genuinely look i mean it's tea so the product is well loved Mm -hmm. so we're already off to a flying start the attachment that people get to their favorite flavors and also Mm -hmm. to the team members they meet in the store Mm -hmm. um is like nothing i've ever seen anywhere else and i'm I'm really proud of that and i think when we reached out and said you know would you like to see one of our stores on your high street the answer was yes Mm -hmm. you know they wanted us to open in their towns so 
they, and also with the environment, wider environment, people are worried about the high streets, I think. Mm. And I think people were ready to invest in a company that was saying, do you know what, we want to bring a hub, a community hub to your high street that's actually proving that, you know, the high street's not completely dying. You have to just do it a different way. Yeah, exactly. So with this money, is that where the London ones happened? Then? Yeah, so we raised yeah. the money. We opened the two London stores um, and Manchester and Nottingham. Wow. In, in the space of six months. Any more? Uh, well, uh, what happened was in the space of those six months, it nearly killed us uh, personally. Um, so we've spent the last year, financial year, sort of taking stock and ho holding steady, mm. uh, making sure everything's set up back of house. And then we have a few pop-ups in the pipeline for Christmas and then we'll be back to opening stores next year. Watch this space. One of the, the big challenges you face is the name. So you used yes. to be called something different. Yes. Um, uh, and now you're Bird Bird. Do you want to talk through what happened there? Yeah. So we started with the name Bluebird, which was was sketched out on the back of a napkin in, in a pub when we were living out in Canada. Um, Bluebird means a day with, it's a skiing term, it means a day with fresh blue skies, no um, clouds and powder snow. Right. And it's hard to get both because to get the snow, you need the clouds. Mm. So it's considered a bluebird day, which basically means perfect. Mm. You can't improve it. It's the perfect conditions, once in a lifetime. Yeah. So in the town we lived in, it, when that happened, everybody would go and ski. Mm. So the schools would close, the businesses would put signs up saying, we've gone to the ski hill. And it was just like an embracement of the fact that there are bigger things in life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, we've, we've all got to work, and you know, we work nine till five, but when you get those perfect days, perfect moments, you know, you really have to embrace them. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to, uh, you know, it stuck with us and we wanted to build a business that enabled people to, you know, you spend so much time at work, that, you know, that it enabled people to get those little snippets of happiness and, and you know, good feeling and yeah. reach for their dreams and, so that's where it came from. And it wasn't a marketing ploy. I didn't realize at the time, I consider myself to be a good marketer now, but at the time it wasn't a PR thing. It was genuine. Mm. And then we had the name until we crowdfunded. And then when we crowdfunded, we got the, we caught the attention of a big London brand that used the name Bluebird that throughout our journey had also become more popular mm. due to um, a TV show. So they had really cracked down on the use of the word bluebird across all industries. Um, and although we had some advice that probably wouldn't stand up, you know, the fact that they were chasing our trademark, we by this point employed 70 people. We just opened four new stores. Mm -hmm. We were busy. We were preoccupied and we didn't have the cash to you know, to tackle that sort of a, mm. you know, which was really hard for me personally because I'm a very strong person and I believe that you should stand up for what you believe in. Mm. And it was very frustrating because mm. personally I was sort of like, oh, I, take, I, don't wanna, take, I don't want this to, you know, I don't want to let this happen because yeah. it was very like David and Goliath type thing. Mm. You have to put your business head on and I'm responsible for all those people's livelihoods and, you know, there's, there's a bigger picture here. We we have a great fan, loyal fan base, a great product brilliant business and it is just a name and we just clung on to that really and yeah we rebranded so it took a good maybe three months to get it all ready um and then rebranded and that's that was 18 months ago 
And how did that go? I remember, again, you were very open with it. You sort yeah, of communicated we really it very yeah. well and you pictures of the new signs and everything. Yeah. So did it go? Yeah, it went well. To be honest, I prepared for quite a big backlash and actually all we kind of got was, are you still doing the same great tea? Yeah. Are you still got the same great people? Yeah. Well, we don't really care what you're called, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Um, and it's quite close. Yeah. Well, it was deliberately, yeah. deliberately close because we we refer to ourselves as BB a lot in text, mm. um, writing in con- content. So we got to keep that. We've still got the bird mm. and the blue bird as our logo. Mm. Um, and we call our fans T-Birds. So we were able to keep that. So yeah. it ties in. Um, and yeah, one of the things that I didn't, properly comprehend at the time was the impact it would have on our online business of course yeah which changing urls and mm. lose, losing all of our backlinks and that had a massive impact um hundreds of thousands of pounds worth really? of an impact which we haven't planned for mm. which is another reason why we're holding steady this year to get back to basics right. which touchwood is going very well so far that's good but I, you know these things come along and mm. You can't you can't see them coming. You can't predict them. And on the other side of it, I'm proud that we're still you know we're still growing and didn't lose any people. And mm, exactly you know. yes, exactly. So you mentioned the online, and you said you're selling like all around the world. And how how has that happened? And on this on this series, there's quite a few British brands that we're talking to. Is is being British? Do you use that internationally? So. We didn't to start with as much. We we talk a lot about being an independent brand and being local, even though I know that we technically have a chain of stores. Mm. They are still owned by us and each store very much is a local community hub. They do their own events, they do their own things, they have their own charities they support. So it is led by our managers and our team from the ground. Um, and I think that's important. So we've done a lot of sort of that sort of thing. And the teas all blended in the UK and handcrafted and I create the recipes. So there's that. But we've never really done, we hadn't done the tea thing, uh, the British tea thing, which is it's daft really because Britain's known for tea all over the world. Mm. Um, and a lot of brands do put sort of like a Union Jack on a packet of tea and yeah. it's kind of funny really because we don't grow it here no. so we we import it from you know amazing tea growing countries yeah. blend it and then they buy it back because it's you know british it's not you know <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. it goes, travels hundreds of thousands of miles yeah. but um but actually i've just started talking more about the british thing in the last six months because i went to a really interesting seminar about selling internationally online and previously i had thought that we wanted so on our website we have a uk skin it's called site then we have a european skin it just means that the it's the same website but it, it's got the european prices on it mm-hmm. and then an american one and i've always thought well you know you want your brand to be consistent so it should be the same and then we went to the seminar and they were talking about how actually if you're going to commit to selling internationally especially online you need to take time to understand the nuances of the audiences mm. that you're talking to yeah. so not just literally language barriers but the little sort of jargony things that you use mm. and even down to color and display and they talked about america in particular and they said you know americans when they're shopping online they're quite you miss a stereotype but in, in general they're used to quite big bold colors fonts mm. in your face short words exclamation marks yeah. you know and so if you're having a sale 
if we we were having a sale, we might sort of have beautiful pictures of a product and say a little bubble saying sale now on. Whereas on the American website, yeah. they're like it needs to be just say the word sale <laughs> in massive red letters. Yeah. So they said, you know, start using images of um, the Union Jack and Big Ben and London because that's not necessarily what we consider to be our brand British, but to an American, that's the first thing that you know gets them in to yeah. understand that you've got british heritage then you can talk about the the cute things around your brand afterwards yeah. you know even taking products down that aren't necessarily relevant mm. to the to the american market mm. um and and things like in the uk we are i mean we're very eco-friendly anyway as a brand but we really talk about that a lot whereas some european countries haven't even caught on to that yet mm. so having pages and pages about you know plastic free tea bags mm isn't necessarily a converter for for some countries in Europe. Mm. I mean, we're still going to have plastic-free tea bags because that's what we do, because mm. we think that's right. But yeah. it's almost a waste of, waste of space. space, kind of, Should if you're thinking just commercially. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Yeah. Now, you're very much, you are the brand, you sell your own stuff, but you've done a few things, like the Hotel de Van you're, you're doing some work with. You want to talk a bit about that and how you're working with other to get your brand into other yeah. places? So we... Um, we didn't do wholesale for a long time um, and we turned down all of the major supermarkets actually in the early days which when I, I've told a few people like foodie founders that since and they've been like what <laughs> what so are they, you mad so they asked you they came yeah, to you yeah we had the four big ones come really? to us in the early days yeah and we didn't we never wanted to be a supermarket brand we don't want to be account managers the product isn't designed to sit on a shelf you know we're a very human brand mm. and it's people on both sides of the counter that bring it alive and that's what we're passionate that's what gets us up in the morning mm. so it was never going to be supermarkets but we've always been up for brand collaborations and again it's tea so it's such an easy one to do mm. so we do all sorts of things from um like doing teas or tea cocktails or iced teas at other people's events and mm. i've had your tea cocktails yeah you've had fan. them at your events yeah so <laughs> we do things like that um we work with quite a few food companies to create collaborative recipes so cocktails cakes infused with tea um what else have we done ice cream tea infused ice cream um anything that someone has said we're like yeah let's give it a go <laughs> and then hotel divan uh, we now do a small amount of wholesale um which means that companies like restaurants and delis sell our tea um, or serve our tea but we only do inbound so they have to come to us which sounds a bit snobby i don't mean it to sound snobby but it's very important to us that we've got like-minded partners so it's not about sales for us it's about brand mm -hmm. so we want the people that are serving our tea to be on brand mm -hmm. um, for both parties mm -hmm. we've turned down huge contracts mm -hmm. that just which would have brought the money in but just wouldn't have been a good match and hotel de van is our first big mm -hmm. i mean they're not huge no. comparatively they're no. they're a, a a chain of um beautiful hotels mm. but it really fits um, it, really it really does fits fit brand, and yeah. the thing that got us on board with them is that their head chef was just he had our tea somewhere i can't remember where and loved it and just pestered and pestered and pestered right. <laughs> and then he started buying our tea and putting it in his recipes wow like he made cheese, he really mahiti it. cheesecake and then he post pictures and to get our attention and in the end we sort of thought right we should we should probably you know speak to these guys they're great the fact that these big brands are coming to you is, yeah is it was an, great is amazing I feel very um yeah privileged yeah yeah 
Um, just on, I was reading another interview you did, and it mentioned about the the, the percentage of Christmas sales that you get. Such a massive, it's about sixty percent. Yes. And obviously, it will soon be here. So, what what are your tips to other business owners on that Christmas period? Because it's so important to so many businesses. Um, well, we just prep really well. We prepare early. I mean, we've been doing Christmas prep since March. Um, I, one of the things I would say I've learned is that you get so swept away with the craziness of Christmas that you can often get to January and just think, oh, thank, thank gosh. And then you sort of, you want to relax and you need to take some time out. But one thing I've learned is that it's best to really, really write down everything you can think of that went amazing and that didn't go so well mm. right then in the first week of January so that when you come to look at next year's Christmas you've got it written down mm. um, we go further than that now we survey our whole team mm. we survey our customers and we do what's called T-Squad which is a, an internal sort of brainstorming day mm. where we just get everything down on on a document and then when I come to start Christmas the next year I've got it all there and it mm. reminds you so mm. I'd say that plan early what other advice? I would say that for our business, Christmas is a, is not just a great time for increased revenue and traffic. It's also a great time for new customers mm. because it's a different type of customer than our usual customer. Um, we get our loyal fans, obviously. Um, they, they, they put things on their gift list and, you know, they tag their partners on social posts like, hint, hint, you know, I want this. Um, and But we also have a massive influx of people that wouldn't themselves come into one of our stores for themselves, wouldn't shop online for themselves, but they have someone on their gift list that loves tea or that they think might like tea. So there's such an opportunity there to convert not only the person they're gifting to, but them as well. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of work online and with our teams around sort of inducting newbies into the brand over Christmas mm -hmm. and how to do that. Sort of when people come in and say, they come in store and they go, it's not for me. I don't, I don't try and sell me tea. It's not for me. I don't like tea. It's for my auntie or whatever. And then, you know, the team are challenged to sort of see if they can convert them, which is a lot of fun. Right, yes. Um, but it works because we have teas that you wouldn't even know were teas. Mm. And we often get this tagline, which I'm trying to convince Mike we should adopt as an official tagline, but the tea company for people that don't even like tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's a controversy. To be honest, yeah. I was one of those. I am very much coffee and I've been into your Bristol shop near where I live. And I've said that to you before. Yeah. I'm a convert. Um, and just finally, obviously you mentioned Mike a lot and, and running a business with a partner in life as well as a partner in business. Um, how is that? And what are your, what are your tips for, for that? Mike and I are a very good team skills wise. We, we, we complement our skills really well. Um, and I think if you're ever considering setting up a business with a partner or a friend or, you know, someone you already know, it's really important that you have a, a respect for what the other person can bring to the table. And mm. I think it needs to feel reasonably equal, mm. which it does with Mike and I. So he does a lot of our, he does all of our finances. He's got a finance head and he's um, great on the logistical side of things. At the moment, he looks after our retail as well. Mm. And I stay very clearly on the other side. I do all of our creative and brand, look after the website, um, all of the digital stuff um, and events. Mm. And I think, we're respectful that we're we've both got a common end point but that we may go about 
what we're trying to achieve in, in our different departments or responsibilities in a different way. And we've, over the years, learned to give each other enough room to do it differently, as long as we are confident that it's the, the top line or the baseline is the same. Yeah. Um, so I guess the key to that is just making sure you're on the, the same page with what, why you're doing it, what it is you're doing, and sort of how you're going to go about your journey. Mike and I sat down right at the beginning and did the Golden Circle. Have you heard of this? It's mm-hmm. the Cynic, I think, is the okay. name of the guy who does it. If you, is a re- is well, a, Simon Cynic. That's yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, Golden Circle, I think it's called, or Start With Why, I think it's called. Oh, yeah, I do yeah. know that, yeah. Um, and you basically draw like a target board, and you put why in the middle, you put uh, how on the next circle and what on the outside circle. And the, the concept is that most companies when you start you start with what what do you want to do i want to sell tea how do you want to do it i want to open retail stores and then why just gets forgotten so what we did was we we read his book and we started in the middle with why so fundamentally why do we want to even start a business nothing to do with tea why why do we want this lifestyle and because we did that we knew that we were on the same page with that sort of thing. So I would recommend getting those three very simple things uh, down on paper and agreed between your co-founders before you even start. So then if it ever gets murky or tricky, you can go back and say, look, this is what we're, this is, what this we're, what we're, this is where we're heading. Yeah. You know, we might fall off a bit here and there or we might have an argument or whatever, but fundamentally is this still true? Because if it is, then, you know, we're a team. Mm. Fantastic. That's such a good place to end. Well, we love the brand. I'm thanks. Sure. Look forward to seeing so many more stores and all sorts of stuff. Chrissy, thanks for joining us You're on Small Business Sessions. You've been listening to the Small Business Sessions for Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. For more information, visit enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast. And big thanks to podcast production company Podraffy for producing this podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.